The contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only. They're not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. That's right. Today on the lab report, we're going to talk to Jacqueline Sclaver, nationally recognized sports nutritionist. And I'm going to get some elite athlete tips. Are you an elite athlete? I was on the drumline. The world of medicine can be challenging. <laughs> Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. Skee-ball. Great game or the greatest game? Worst game ever. You What? You don't like skee-ball? Is it skee-ball or skee-ball? Skee-ball. You sure? Yes. Hello. Hi, Michael Chapman. How are you today? I'm great, Patty Devers. How are you? I am crushing it and living my best life as (laughs) always. Wow. (laughs) That's amazing. Man, you must feel great. Well, I do feel great. We've had a great couple of weeks here at Genova, as Mm. you know. The end of April is considered Laboratory Professionals Week, what we lovingly call Lab Week here. Yeah. Fun yeah, it's like Mardi Gras for a, for a laboratory. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> but I'm Mayhem. So- we had ice cream sandwiches, like yep. real, real ice cream sandwiches. Yeah. Pizza. Cookouts. Oh, man. Games. But the whole concept of the Laboratory Professionals Week is important because I think they're very unappreciated in how much they contribute to patients' health and the health of a community. So shout sure. out to all of you laboratory professionals Absolutely. out there. Hey, you ever have a lab done? You ever get a lab yeah, done? Yeah. Did you know there's people behind getting that done, whether that's some sort of pathology assessment, mm-hmm. you could have something biopsed and then taking yeah. all the stuff. Yeah. People, Blood, serum. Yeah. People think it just, you know, bada boom, bada bing, put it in a machine, out comes your... There's a lot that happens oh, in a man. lab. You better believe it. There's a lot that happens. And we're so grateful because we've got the best of the best at Genova. No doubt. No doubt. So thank you to everyone involved mm-hmm. in making labs happen and to especially... All those amazing people at the lab here at Genova yeah. Diagnostics. Thanks, you guys, for all the work that you do. Yep. Any so, but you know, Patty. What? So what? Uh, what? This is a podcast. It is. It's called the Lab Report. It's brought to you by Genova Diagnostics. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Genova. Thanks, Genova. Uh, and it's where we talk about some stuff, man. We talk we about lab stuff. And other stuff. Yeah, scienceness, technology, machine mechanics, uh-huh. functional medicine, integrative therapeutics. Oh, we talk about so Lots much of stuff. stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, and if you like that sort of stuff, you're in the right place. Patty, tell them why. Because if you're new to the show, you're going to love it. You and if are, you're returning, oh we are <laughs> you so You don't even know what's coming. <laughs> if you're returning, thanks for coming back. Thanks for your support. And hopefully you would have gone to iTunes or Spotify and perhaps subscribed to this quirky little show. We give know us you a did. Thumbs we, up, we know you did that. Give us a star. Give us a rating, a review. Share it with your friends. All that stuff. Yeah. Uh, and if you have additional feedback, you can always send that feedback to the podcast at gdx.net. That is our email address. It's, it is. Yeah. It's yeah. that at symbol sort of what tells you that it's... <laughs> An email address. Well, I will say, on the heels of all the fun in Mardi Gras, you just lovingly pointed out. No ski ball. No ski ball, thank God. But um, we are going to have a great day today on the podcast because we have a very special guest joining us, Miss Jacqueline Sclave. Yes. And this is always an exciting time. Anytime that we get to brush elbows with famous people (laughs) and people who've like done nutrition with famous Uh, people, I I get like a little nervous. Yep. I don't normally get nervous, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's because these people 
are accomplishing so much in this world mm-hmm. um, that it's really inspiring. And the fact that we get to pick their brain, I just feel super grateful about that. Well, I think we should, without further ado, let's call Jacqueline up. So, Michael, yes, get ready. I'm Hold on to your ready. brain. Jacqueline Sclaver is here. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with Jacqueline Sclaver, let me tell you a little bit about her. Jacqueline Sclaver is a nationally recognized sports nutritionist who works with both everyday gym enthusiasts as well as the world's top professional athletes to optimize performance, body composition, and metabolic health. She was the former head of performance for the NBA's Orlando Magic and part of the team at Athletes Nutrition. Athletes Nutrition is a program which combines functional medicine with sports nutrition, featuring an elite coaching experience that can improve body composition, optimize performance, and enhance overall health and well-being. Jacqueline is a certified nutrition specialist, licensed dietitian, certified personal trainer, and USA weightlifting coach. She holds a Master of Science degree in human nutrition from the University of Bridgeport, and she's been featured on numerous national magazines, television and radio shows, and podcasts. Yes. And with that, welcome to the Lab Report, Thanks Jacqueline so much Slaver. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Wow, <laughs> such a great introduction. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to be honest, we talk a lot about nutrition on this mm-hmm. show, and I, we sometimes very rarely get a chance to talk about nutrition in elite athletes, but I find this topic just so interesting because they're such a unique population mm. of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what you have such wonderful insight and experience into this population. What is, what have you found is like the biggest nutritional challenge with these strange people we call <laughs> athletes? Lifestyle is the biggest challenge. Mm-hmm. And I think depending on the athlete and the sport, um, scheduling, where they are, where mm-hmm. are they in the world? How quickly is are things moving? How quickly can we arrange for things to be executed? Um, things happen very last minute. And so there's so many different variables of, is it an individual sport? Is it a team sport? Who is around us? What time of the season? Is it in season, off season? Um, and that's probably the biggest challenge. And then executing it right with those variables around it. So like I could come up with the best plan in the world. I can make somebody into the most amazing athlete, but can we execute this? Mm. Can we even get the data that we need to move to the next step? Or do we have to improvise along the way? So there's a lot of variables that you just have to learn to go with the flow and do the best you can with what is in front of you. It's things you don't think about, like even traveling in, in different time zones, like one team moving to another time zone. That's a lot. Yeah. So when you say lifestyle, you really mean kind of just the, the, their overall, the, the time crunch and the, their fl- inflexibility of schedule. Yeah. Or, you know, like I said, sometimes I work with people in off season and it's the incredible flexibility of like, oh, I'm in L.A. today. Oh, by the way, I'm in Spain tomorrow. We're <laughs> taking a flight or. Oh, I know you were supposed to come here tomorrow, but um, I'm on a flight to Texas or I've landed places and athletes aren't there. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> but they're trying to control the variables around that. And um, but, yeah, in a team environment, it's the fast pace and the way things move and trying to execute and the way things can change last minute, mm. very last minute. You know, you could find out at 11 o'clock that 
the schedule for the next day has been changed. Mm-hmm. Wow. So. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, we hear these stories, you know, classic stories sort of like from the media and whatnot. Like I think of Michael Phelps where they like laid out like all the ridiculous amounts of junk food that he ate. And the perception from that was kind of like he could just eat whatever he wants. Um, but for like, you know, these top level athletes who are trying to get X amount more percentage out uh, of their of their workout or their routine, uh, how real how I guess how much how close to real life is that? Well, we do know that Michael Phelps did admit to exaggerating that amount of calories. Uh. And there has been some research studies to show that no human could actually ingest that amount. And there's all these debates that go on social media. <laughs> and I have found the That's studies. That's what it's, it's for, about- right? That's what social media is for. <laughs> Yeah, book Burn that came out recently, like a couple years ago. There's this amazing PhD who wrote it, and he kind of proved how many calories a human can actually ingest and keep it down in a lab situation. Mm. So, no, Michael Phelps did not have like 10,000 calories a day. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's an interesting fact that gets brought up, which is, you know, how, how clean, quote unquote, can somebody eat and get in all these calories? And so at that point, when you want to keep weight on somebody who's very active, you can't just think about everything being super duper healthy, but we do, I personally eliminate all fried foods, you know, mm-hmm. anything that's inflammatory. So at that point I look like, okay, how can we get in the most amount of calories and keep inflammation the lowest and keep digestion at its highest? So I personally eliminate fried foods. I try to stay away from heavy creams and things that are like really high saturated fats. Um, but we do the best we can. So, you know, nobody's going to be eating bags of chips on my dime, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, but you do have to eat foods that you might consider you know, unhealthy. Are we eating like fatty steaks? Absolutely. Because at that point, it also comes to food volume. So mm. the less volume that we can get with the most amount of calories, which is usually adding a lot of fats in too, is going to be the best way to go. Because then you think about, okay, somebody who's a high level athlete is training a couple times a day. So how are they going to eat and then train and then right. eat and then train? Good yeah. point. You know, and that's something. It's another variable. <laughs> yeah, you're running out of hours. <laughs> yeah, that's a good yeah. point. Yeah, wow. So, yeah. Well, I want to build on that because the perception for most of us is that athletes are super healthy. However, with high performance comes significant wear and tear, right? So can you talk about some of the metabolic or hormonal abnormalities you have to address that may not be obvious to most people? Sure. A lot of times what people don't realize because athletes are somewhat superhuman is that they're they're pushing through a lot of injuries and a lot of pain. Mm. And they might seem like they're performing at 110%, but they're really not on the inside. And these are things that we see in, I would maybe call them micro injuries or to a regular person, they could be a macro injury. Yeah. Um, and these are things I'm constantly addressing. Um, from And when I say team perspective, in private practice, there's still a team, right? We still have the athlete's physical therapist and their strength conditioning coach and their medical, and I'm part of that team. And then in a team perspective, we have all of that as part of a team. So something I'm always working on with their therapists and their trainers is how we can address all of these things from a repair standpoint, from a nutrition standpoint. So we're all doing our input. So they're doing their manual therapy and somebody might be, you know, the doctor might be doing their imaging and, and I'm doing everything from a nutritional standpoint to help that metabolic process. Um, and some of the things we know is how metabolism changes when there is trauma to the body. Mm-hmm. So we're supporting them that way. Um, I think another thing that people don't think about much is the hormonal changes. And we've also seen from research that like NFL starters or NBA starters, as the season goes on, we do see drops in their testosterone and increases in their cortisol versus non-starters. Now, um, 
you know, in an actual NBA team level, we don't touch hormones at all. You know, sex hormones are out of our scope of practice. But in private practice, it's something that I do, I am able to test. Mm -hmm. And so how much can we control that? We can try to control the stress through proper recovery and nutrition. The amount of stress that's on their body is going to be what's going to be. Mm -hmm. But I can try to help control the sleep through nutrition. I can try and help control the recovery process through nutrition, making sure that they have enough fuel and the right supplements. And that's where I can come into play to help mitigate some of those changes that are inevitably going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. You said something super interesting to me that I was hoping to unpack just for a sec, if that's okay. So you said that we see the drops in testosterone androgens from starters to non-starters. Is that, did I hear that correctly? So is that related to the physical activity stress more so or to the mental, emotional stress both? I mean, do you have thoughts on that? You know, I'd have to actually dig up this study to see what they tested, but I think it was most, mostly um, from actual physical activity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they tested the emotional activity. Listen, to me, the psychological uh, side of sports and the stress that brings on and the whole world of nootropics is mm-hmm. a whole other world that I've said for years we should be tapping into. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, we do look at that with some of the nutri-eval testing and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's so new and people don't even know what to do with it. Right. And, and where is it on the pecking order? Because let's yeah. be real, like nutrition is kind of low on the pecking order when it comes to athletes. Some people are recognizing it more and some teams are recognizing it more, but it's still like they know they need it, but they don't even realize how much we can do to help. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes, you know, like, it does. They are like, you know, we know nutrition's there and some people really know it, but they still don't even understand. And I feel like it's our role as performance nutritionists. And I've talked to other nutritionists about this. It's almost our role to explain to people and educate them what we can be doing because we're not just there to like tell people like electrolyte drinks we're not just there to to, Mm -hmm. we can do so much more than that but we have to kind of let people know what we can do and hope that they understand it or with the people around us are you know ready to jump onto that because it's really the future yeah it's right now but it's the future and it's it's fascinating to me because when i think of a lot of the resources available to some of these teams that are trying to get kind of peak performance out of their players, it's super surprising that something like nutrition seems low on the pecking order. But right. then I think about everywhere else where we try to convince people, hey, by the way, your diet kind of influences your health. And right. they're like, oh, we're just now realizing that. <laughs> you know? So yeah. I no, guess it's, it's not that goes different. What into your body right. what comes out of your body. That's oh, right. your body, by the way, everything going into your body is affecting everything, <laughs> yes. by the way. Yes. <laughs> you know? right. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So um, and. And some athletes are recognizing that. And that's why in private practice, you know, that's starting to grow for a lot of us because those athletes that are recognizing it, um, to me, it's like a secret weapon. And those ones that do and that hire us really do take full advantage. And that's, I love working on on an athlete's private team because I get to flourish myself. Like I make these amazing plans and I get to put them forth and see the results right away. You know, I get to see how the athlete's changing and how they're feeling and and their performance and their recovery and, you know, reduction of injuries or whatever it might be. We really get to see it come out in front of us and everyone's so appreciative and it's, it's almost like an artwork. Yeah. You know, like art at play. Yeah. It's the, the secret sauce. Yeah, yeah. 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 And it seems like it's player focus as far as the, the, it getting out, out there, I guess the information mm. getting out, and, yeah. you know, I think of like Tom Brady, who's been talking about kind of his approaches to health and wellness and things like that. Yeah. Um, and with all of that combined, I mean, G- Genova testing has helped a little bit uh, along the way. Would you say, how does functional medicine testing help you kind of with respect to athletes and get to get your athletes to the next level? Yeah. I mean, I do a ton of, 
I'm very lab focused. Um, it's kind of an area I geek out on a lot. And Us I too. feel like, gosh, <laughs> yeah. I could take courses forever in this. I mean, there's so much more to know too, right? We right. have some of the great teachers in it right now. And I think Genova's pioneering some of the educational programs, but we're still learning more and more about these little metabolic pathways yep. that make such a big difference yeah. and, and how they all connect in, right? It's like mm. a big maze. Right. Um, and so one of the areas besides the basic, like, you know, CMC or CC, um, you know, metabolic panels and things like that is doing intra and extracellular testing to look at micronutrients and to look at antioxidants and fatty acid pathways and, um, and how do these all connect in? Mm. And, and so that's what I find really interesting. And I do start to see some patterns. I have seen patterns over the past few years of running nutri evals on high level athletes. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I've been able to, let's just say I can't get testing on some people because there are limitations as we mentioned in the very beginning, when you have this lifestyle that's all over the place, sometimes it is hard to get somebody down and get these labs from them. Mm -hmm. Um, But I can kind of say based off of enough of the testing I've done, hey, listen, if we can't get labs from you, I'm pretty sure that these are areas that we're gonna have to address, you know, supplementary. Because even through diet at such a high level, Mm -hmm. and you know, diet's always first, we're gonna have to supplement as well to get in these nutrients that these people need. Um, Very high antioxidant focused. what I've seen that's interesting is some of my athletes that have injuries, I will see a higher need for certain amino acids, mm. which makes sense right. because some of our amino acids become conditionally essential. Right. And I have seen that pattern as well. Um, and then, you know, how the, I would say a lot of times I see how this B vitamin deficiency can affect how fatty acids are being metabolized. Mm. And I see that pattern also. Um, so it's a, it's a really awesome insight. I feel that gut health and I, I mean, this, I don't just feel this, this is a fact it's tied into everything, right? Sure, yeah. <laughs> like microbiome affects everything. But when it comes to athletes, inflammation in the gut can lead to so many other areas of your body, not just your lung performance, but you know, your joint health and your, your ability Just think about this. I mean, somebody who has some type of stomach problem, whether it be IBS or IBD or something acute, mm-hmm. um, it could really affect how they're performing, how they're training, how they're playing. And I bet you, if I had to guess, there's a good, let me shut that off. Good. Um, so I bet you, if I had to guess, there is a good percentage of athletes that are out there every day performing with stomach problems, mm. with stomach pain. Um, and it may or may not be hindering their performance or they're so used to it. And I've seen this, they're so used to it that it just becomes a part of their daily pattern. Like mm-hmm. they have to leave the field mid game or they have to leave the court or they have to, be late to practice or things like that, because it's just the way they've learned how to do things and adapted to it. And that's just affecting their actual time in practice and play. But think about what it's affecting from the inside out. Mm -hmm. And, um, Mm -hmm. and then I personally also believe that it's tied into psychological effects. So if you're having a lot of problems with your gut, you know, with like the vagus nerve and how that can affect you psychologically and anxiety, it you know, which one's coming first? Is it the right. anxiety from the game that's affecting sure. your gut? Or is it that you have the inflammation in your gut that's affecting your your anxiety? It's a really, you know, deep, deep rabbit hole, but we have this testing that can show us a lot. So I'm really grateful for having that. Um, and that's another test that I've been using in practice a lot. That's yeah, great. it's totally right on too. I mean, it's, it's obvious, I think, with the kind of bi-directional aspect, because we know high-endurance athletes are more likely to have leaky gut. Mm-hmm. They're more likely mm-hmm. to have dysbiosis and a lot of these issues, which could manifest or not, as you were saying, as a, a GI symptom or some mm-hmm. sort of problem. But then to get to the other elements, which are more subtle and more insidious, like, hey, this might actually be in, 
affecting how you mentally prepare or get or get through your workout or even through your game performance. Like that's a good sell uh-huh. when you're trying to convince an athlete to do a poop test. It's true. It's true. And that's got to be a difficult sell. But yeah. once you explain that bi-directional gut brain axis, I mean, it's a no brainer. And I, I appreciate that because we see that sometimes on the phone when we do consults with clinicians for someone who's an athlete and like, wow, this is not good. And they don't even have GI symptoms, but clearly the stress Mm -hmm. of everything is affecting them and they're not realizing it. Yeah. I guess I wonder how, uh, how, what percentage of athletes would you say like are willing to do a GI test, do a stool test? You know, I don't think it's so much as the willing to do it. It's getting like locking it down and getting it done. Mm. And I think that's the harder part because it's overwhelming for someone to think that they have to do those things. Do right. that. And I don't think it's, I mean, I've done the test myself a few times. It takes a couple minutes. It's one and done. Um, so I think it's just a matter of a, how much do they see that they maybe need to take a deeper look at what's going on with their gut health. Um, and you know, some people are just more willing than others. So it's mm-hmm. hard. Some people would rather do that than a blood test. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. hard to get blood from some people. So uh, it, it's really, it really depends on that level. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we know that you also work with just every everyday gym enthusiasts in addition to athletes. And a lot of people, including athletes, do struggle with shedding weight and, and losing fat. What what as a nutritionist do you think is the most impactful piece of advice you can give? Or not only as a nutritionist, as a trainer as well. What's the most impactful piece of advice you give? The number one thing you have to do is be honest with yourself and honest with your nutritionist or whoever's helping you on how much you're actually eating, you have to track food. And I know that there's a school of thought of just intuitively eating, but I'm going to be real with you. If you don't know how much you're eating, don't know what to change, and I can't help you. It's very hard. Um, So I think that people have to take the time to track their food and learn macros. And it's very easy. It doesn't, it's not hard. And if you have the right nutritionist to guide you through it, it is a life-changing, eye-opening experience Mm -hmm. because you have to learn the value behind food and portion sizes. And until someone's actually sat down and done that, it's hard to say things are failing them. Mm -hmm. Um, They want shortcuts, but to be honest, to go wait in a doctor's office for a shot of semaglutide every week takes longer than it's going to take for you to track your food. I'll tell you that much. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I think that also people need to understand that it takes time. It's not going to happen overnight. And it's a lifestyle change. You shouldn't be you know, crash dieting or, you know, trying to put on tons of muscle at once. It's, it's a full lifestyle. It's something that you are going to dedicate the rest of your life to, but in a good way, it's going to make you feel great and you're going to love it. If right. not, you shouldn't, when people think of diet, they think of this like negative connotation, but the truth of the matter is it's a lifestyle and it's a lifestyle that's going to make you feel better. And I think that people need to understand that. And also that if you're in a deficit, you need to split that between your food and your exercise. So Mm. to think I'm just going to crash diet and not exercise, or I'm just going to over-exercise and not diet, that doesn't work that way. Psychologically, Mm. we will eat more when we exercise more if we're not following a plan. And we know that. So those are a few of my biggest tips. But I think think that those are are some really important facts that people just want to skip over. Mm -hmm. And just they just want someone to tell them what to eat. And that's not, you don't want to hire a nutritionist to just tell you what to eat. You want to learn what you're doing. It's not that complex in the yeah. big picture. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you're just talking about macros and calories, you can learn that. You know, and I, here's another analogy I give is like your money. I mean, you know what you know what you're doing with your money. You know how much money is in the bank. 
you know how much you can spend. And if you don't know that, then you're going to get yourself into some trouble mm. in the big picture. Yeah. So you have to look at food as the same way that you look at your income and your money. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. a great analogy. That's a great analogy. Yeah. <laughs> and just be honest with yourself, Michael. Just be- <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where any of my money is. Um. <laughs> some people feel that way. They're afraid to check their bank account. It's just like some people are afraid to track their calories. That's, true. That's right. That's it's right. So true. Well, and we've talked a lot about nutrition too, um, but you're also a weightlifting coach and I've got some questions around oh, some of this too. Here's where Michael takes over the podcast for his personal look, gain. It's not, he needs real I advice. I figure if I've got questions, like, other people have questions. <laughs> good too. point. Okay. So, you, so how do you customize like a specific workout to address the needs of, of athletes? And, and I think more so about recovery too. Recovery for me tends to be more of a harder thing to understand both, you know, for myself or, or for working with an athlete or anyone to, it's just not as intuitive, right? Like I know if I keep pressing, then I'm going to hopefully get outcomes and get gains and all that sort of stuff. But if I do recovery, am I helping myself? I don't know. I think I, people tell me I am, but you see what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that this comes, so I currently right now, I'm not really like coaching anybody as a strength and conditioning coach or as a weightlifting coach, but having all of that experience and education helps me to be a performance nutritionist because I work hand in hand with so many strength and conditioning coaches. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I get that mentality, you know, it happens in sport and just for gym goers where we're afraid that if we're recovering, then we're not actively playing this role in moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a really great topic right now because it's trending. You know, if you think about all this, uh, the, the catchphrase right now in the media with NBA is load management, you know, mm-hmm. and NBA players are getting criticized for sitting out games. And but this is really all a, a bigger picture. It's all into the recovery process. It's um, it's into the recovery process and and the ability to play more games and the ability to practice more. And if you think about it from a gym standpoint, you should have a program that has progressive overload and that you have what we call like macro cycles within that. You know, you have you have mesocycles and you have macro cycles and you're constantly building. But built into that has to be a recovery phase. Hmm. And that's because your body has to repair. Right. right. You right. have to stop and allow it to repair. Um, you know, we see <laughs> so many people with CrossFit that you, they have these active recovery days. And I'm like, oh, OK, what's that? And they're like, oh, I'm running five miles. <laughs> like that, for me that's that that's like a hard cardio day I mean, right. like active recovery means like i'm taking a walk with my dog for the day i'm just not sitting on my couch and people forget that you have to stop to rebuild um and you have to like look at lifestyle as a whole um another thing people also forget about is the other stressors that are in their life so if it's an athlete you think you know people have media obligations they have family obligations um Regular people have family obligations. They have, you know, who knows what's going on and they have to travel and, and, and there's all different stressors that are coming into their life. So we have to take those stressors into consideration because training is also a stressor, even though it's a positive stressor. Right. And so what's the number one thing we can do for recovery? It's nutrition. I mean, I always put nutrition into that recovery kind of bubble because that's where it all starts. I mean, recovery, we know recovery starts within like 45 minutes finishing a workout or a game or training. And within that 45 minute window, we could start the recovery process faster from like a glycolytic standpoint. And so if you have proper nutrition, you can recover a lot faster. Mm-hmm. And if you if training more is what you want to do <laughs> yeah. and that's how it's going to happen. But without fueling your body and giving your body what it needs to recover, it's going to be a lot harder. So I think that it is an area that people look down upon if people are sitting out or not training or not playing a game and we have to be realistic. 
Yeah. We, we had to, I, I, unfortunately, and I see this cause I work with a lot of student athletes that are at the high school level where it's not paid as much attention to. And unfortunately you have a lot of coaches that their reputation is based upon winning. So mm-hmm. if they have a key player, they want them to keep playing through injuries mm-hmm. and nobody's around them saying, hold up. Like there's no performance team saying, hold up. Like she can't continue to play. She's got an underlying injury. So they keep moving forward. And then what happens not all the time, but a lot of times is that they have to stop playing because there's an injury that stops them. And mm-hmm. I see it coming. Like I see the tumbleweed happening yeah, and I yeah. try to warn people, um, but I can only do what I can do. And that's another role. I think that I'm, I feel blessed to be able to play as a nutritionist is I understand the, I don't know if I want to call it the, uh, the business of sport or the understanding of what goes around sport so much that I'm able to advise people in that area as well. Mm. If they want to listen. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that there's so many aspects that come into recovery that is so important to be able to have longevity in whatever you're doing. And like I said, even if you're just not, you know, a regular gym goer, you still need to recover to be able to keep going. And if you think about the consistency as, I don't know, let's just say, you know, 250 days out of 365, because you allowed recovery versus if you were knocked out for 50 of those days. Right. Yeah. Can, yeah. can I ask a, a clarifier or just like a follow up, I guess. Mm-hmm. When I think of like rest and recovery as it relates to sport, I think of like hormones and HPA axis and cortisol. But as it relates to nutrition supporting recovery, are you talking about like antioxidant foods and like amino acids repletion, anti-inflammatory fats? Is that is that what you're talking about as it relates to that recovery? I think it's actually everything. So I kind of mentioned briefly timing. Nutrient timing is really important in recovery. There's actually this like window that we know about if we can get carbohydrates into someone's body after a hard training or workout, that the recovery process will start sooner from a, a glycolytic standpoint, so energy standpoint, and from muscle recovery standpoint. Okay. Um, and then we do use these other tools such as antioxidants and um, and fatty acids, right? Fatty acids like omega threes have so many great, so many different areas that they've been helping mm-hmm. us out, <laughs> and and definitely in performance as well in recovery and muscle recovery. So we utilize these tools, but once again, even when it comes to supplements, it's timing. Mm. You know, the timing of when we're taking these, like we know we don't want to take antioxidants in a supplement form after training. Um, we know that we want to take like our vitamin D and basically all of our anti-inflammatories. So our omega-3s and curcumin, we want to take them with a fatty food to help absorption, right? Mm. And you don't want to have fatty foods in between heavy training sessions. Mm-hmm. Right. Digestion. So right. there's a lot right. of little nuances that people don't think about when no. it comes to laying out a plan. I, I yeah. wouldn't have thought of those things. Yeah. No, absolutely not. <laughs> I'm looking at you, Michael. I was sitting there being like, so I shouldn't have my protein <laughs> shake. I should have carbohydrates after I do my workout. You know, like there's so many things. Oh, sorry, you were and That depends on your goal too, right? So if you're just looking to like build muscle, listen, we do, we definitely need protein as well. Um, but if you're just looking to build muscle, um, you know, you want to do your protein. If you're looking to be able to train again soon after, or you're looking to have to, you have a demanding schedule, the carbohydrates are going to be number one right there to start that recovery process. I mean, I hope that we're having enough protein throughout the day. We should be mm-hmm. that you're maintaining a positive <laughs> amino acid balance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where the difference between, and people talk about this, you know, performance nutrition or sports nutrition for your active gym goer versus your elite athlete. Mm. It's, it's almost, it's based in the same science, but it's almost two different things yeah. in the way we apply it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 
I well, I can't I can't wait to start working with you, Jacqueline. <laughs> like it's gonna be it's gonna be wonderful. This will be <laughs> this will be nutrition for your 150 pound scared anxious person. <laughs> well, I see Michael. You're over there, like scribbling notes and writing <laughs> things down. When you say that right away, when I, when I hear like, okay, this is the, this is the client. Like I think to my, I get excited because I'm like, wow, I could really help this guy. You know, I could, oh, I no. know that nutritional practices could really help a 150 pound anxious guy <laughs> <laughs> and it can, you know, it really can. I'll call you later, Jacqueline. We need to have a discussion. <laughs> but I think that leads into my, my next question, which is athletes nutrition is a, a phenomenal program. I've been to this website. I've been all through this program. Um, and we know that on that website, there's a ton of testimonials of really high profile professional athletes, but we also know that you also specialize in people like Michael Chapman. So I guess my question is how do people out there who are listening to this podcast find you to work with you, Jacqueline Sclaver? Sure. The best way is to go to my website, which the athlete's nutrition is actually a play on the word athlete. So it's Uh spelled A T H L E A T S nutrition. So like like Uh eats. Yeah. And so some people get that confused, but it's athletes like eats. Um, I also try to put a ton of educational stuff out on my Instagram. So I like to do reels that actually teach you things. Um, I'd like to be, I'm, I would say those are the two best things, two best ways to find me. And my Instagram is also athletes nutrition spelled A T H L E A T S. And then if you go to my website, you know, you can find out more information. You can schedule a discovery call, which will be with myself or one of the great women or men that work with me. Um, they all have same educational background and experience. So one of us will get on a call with you and like really dig deep into what you need. That's awesome. for you, Michael. You yeah. Got that, we'll you got we'll that put right all now. that info in the show notes. Definitely. Too. Yeah, We're absolutely. definitely going to link it in the show notes. Yeah. And Jacqueline, you did not disappoint. We've been excited to speak to you for a very long time. So we can't thank you enough. We know how incredibly busy you are. This is a phenomenal amount of information. I know the audience is just eating this up. And like Michael said, we're going to link to everything you have here in the show notes. But before we let you go, we do have one last question that I'm going to kick to Michael Chapman. Yeah, we have a, a silly nonsense question called the fireball that we end interviews with. Uh, get ready. It's so, just to make you uncomfortable. Uh, well, it's so hot yeah, that it's going to yeah, burn yeah. you. Okay, so <laughs> you were talking about active recovery days, and I'm wondering about passive recovery days. What are, what's your favorite passive recovery day activity? Like, is it a puzzle? Is it a book? What, what is it for Jacqueline Slaver? I'm such a geek. I would sit home in PubMed and start reading research. Oh, or like on. I said, I've been, I swear, that's what I do on Saturday nights sometimes. <laughs> I am the biggest work. I have such a twofold life. Like living in Miami, I could be out at a lounge or I could be at home reading research. You never know. Oh my. Um, but that's what I love to, like, I love to learn. I mean, I'm taking a course right now on lab chemistry, literally. Yeah. Oh my what goodness. I do on my spare time. Yeah. Oh so my I am the world's biggest geek. <laughs> <laughs> where I'm at in my passive Is time. that recovery? I just want to make sure that's recovery. Now <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be a clinician here for a second. And right. Say, are you it, it might not soothing be for my here? brain. Okay. Right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But, um, but yeah, I don't even, or okay, I watch sports. That's another thing okay. I like okay. to do. Like, okay. That's my guilty pleasure. I will watch sports. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> Excellent. Well, again, Jacqueline Sclaver, we can't thank you enough for spending time with us. We're going to encourage everyone to go to Athletes Nutrition and reach out to Jacqueline and work with her. And Please, I have to warn you about Michael Chapman. You and I will talk later. He is anxious. (laughs) (laughs) But thank you so much for being here, Jacqueline. Thank you. So interesting uh, how she was mentioning one of the barriers being patient compliance in a very different way with athletes. That's I I had not heard that before. That's really interesting. Right, right. Because we tend to think of like patient compliance as it relates to just 
trying to get your patient to exercise. No, but here it's like yeah. exactly. traveling. <laughs> like, oh, so true. by the way, they're crazy busy. <laughs> such a great point. And like the fact that travel, right, mm -hmm. is such an obstacle to health. It you know is, what I mean? Yeah. Like how much people travel is like directly proportional yeah. to like how difficult it is to just get adequate exercise and nutrition. Mm -hmm. I mean, someone there's like a million dollar idea in there. In what respect? I mean, what I mean? don't tell anyone, but like okay, to secret. solve that problem, like you, there should be able, there should be a way to how? be able to travel and then get all the stuff that you need. But, but really you can't because there's like time zones, time change, circadian rhythm problems, you know, airport food isn't great. Airport food, that's you know. a solvable problem, right? That's what Fair. I'm saying. Okay. Somebody out there who's in the biz, <laughs> get on it. But the fireball, though, Michael, we could be as smart as Jacqueline's Claver if, in fact, we used any of our downtime to scour through PubMed. Uh, what are you talking? We, we're in PubMed all the time, Patty. I we, mean, some of us. All day long at that's right. here at Genova. Right. But I, I'm talking about, like, in your free time, like your fun time. You're playing skee ball or skeet ball, whatever it is you're playing. I mean, what do you want me to do? I gotta get the tickets, right? I mean, the, <laughs> you gotta get the tickets to get the yeah. the junk behind the counter, right? Otherwise, why even be at Chuck E. Cheese? <laughs> okay, so while well, you're at Chuck E. Cheese uh -huh. playing skee ball, right? Are you creeped out by those singing, you know, those weird animatrons of the of the the, <laughs> the bear and the mouse? It's kind of creepy. So you have been to Chuck E. Cheese? I've been there back in the '80s. It sounds like because. Yeah. Turns out they fired the band. What? At least I don't know. <gasps> I don't know about other ones, but here they? in Asheville, we there's just the mouse. They got rid of everyone else. No so, music, no band, nothing. I don't know if they just they they realized they needed to reduce costs. Maybe the the bear was charging too much. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, maybe the maybe Chuck E just yeah. wanted to do DJ solo gig Listen, or something. But now I'm on a mission. I'm going to get the band back together. Please don't. Next time on The Lab Report, we're going to talk to Dr. Michael Letter. Dude, he's an MD, PhD, researcher, and clinician. He's going to be that's awesome. Too that's too much. That's too much stuff. <laughs> but you know what? We've been waiting to talk to somebody who specializes in mental health. Yes. It's going to be awesome. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. You know what I do remember about Chuck E. Cheese in the 80s? Though? What's that? The pizza. I think the pizza was good. The is pizza it? is still good. Is it? Yeah, it's surprising. You're like, oh, this is going to be cardboard terribleness. Yeah. And it's um, it's actually still good. And Go ahead. they have their own, so they have their pizza, uh -huh. but you can also order it aside from Chuck E. Cheese. They have a separate business with a different what? name where they it? sell their pizza. What's it called? I think it's like Pignali's or something oh, like on. that. No, like, it's something like that. That name makes no sense. Pascali's. Well, why, why don't they just say Chuck E. Cheese pizza? It makes no sense. I don't know. Who's Pagnali? <laughs> Is that a person? I don't know. It's so dumb. I made it all up. All right. Follow-up question. What do you what do you buy with the tickets when you get all your tickets? Like what's your you, go-to well, price? Well, because of inflation. Yeah. I mean, just to get one of those spider rings, it's like 20,000 tickets. Oh, that's ridiculous. No, that's true. And you can just go ahead and forget about getting one of those Chinese finger traps. <laughs> I don't even understand those. Do you do you do you understand those? Yes.